Scorp is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. He's got it. 984, a world record for Donovan Bailey and a gold medal. A perfect score. 10.0 for Dante Cavanici. A perfect score. The first time I've never seen it is off the podium an olympics podcast coming to you today for another fun interview and a very fun one for you today we are speaking with one of australia's favorite broadcasters you've seen his face across channel 7 for many years particularly on their olympic coverage jason richo richardson of course also during the commonwealth games very recently as well and richo is an absolute blast to chat to and you're going to learn a lot about his amazing career in this chat as well as his athletics career i'm sure some of you might not be aware that he's a stall gift winner won the stall gift in 1993 had a promising athletics career that unfortunately didn't quite take him to the olympics but we find out a little bit about just how close he did come during the 1990s as well as finding out a very prominent australian future Olympic champion from when he was training with them, who he trained with. He was their training partner. So a uh, great little story to learn from here in this. And we also learned some uh, other great moments throughout his career, working with Bruce McAvaney, finding his way from Channel 10 to Channel 7, his involvement in Melbourne's first 24-hour sports radio station, which, of course, is a very prominent radio station on this day, and also some other aspects which get a little bit personal for myself with connections with Richo in terms of where he was actually born, which I discovered might be a first for off the podium, and as a massive Carlton fan, people would know recently what happened with Carlton in the 2022 season, and when we recorded this interview, it was very fresh on our minds exactly what happened. So lots of fun to delve into this interview. Sit back and relax and listen to our chat with Jason Richo Richardson. So very excited to welcome our next guest to Off the Podium today. You know him as one of Australia's favourite broadcasters. You've seen him on recent coverage of the Commonwealth Games, the Beijing Olympics, previous Olympics as well, face of horse racing on Channel 7 and everywhere else, SEN Radio. This guy is everywhere, basically. But you also might not know that he's also got a bit of an athletic career, which I'm very intrigued to hear a little bit more about, and also just everything else that has come from his incredible career. It's a pleasure to welcome to Off the Podium, Jason Richo Richardson. Richo, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Mate, absolutely brilliant to be here, Ben. I was looking around thinking, who is this person you're introducing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can you he get him sounds, for me? I don't know if he's busy, but, uh, you he know. He sounds bloody good. He sounds uh, someone I want to hang out with. Um, <laughs> I got the best job in town because I actually don't believe it is a job. Uh, I love every minute of it and hopefully that comes through the screens of uh, Seven when we do it and uh, just came back from a Commonwealth Games, mate, and I hope you enjoyed it because I think like a lot of um, of the Australians, I think people are a little sceptical about where the Commonwealth Games uh, sat considering we've had two Olympic Games 
in recent times in Tokyo and then Beijing at the Winter Olympics that were fantastic. Going into Com Games and where do they sit? Well, I think especially with track and field and with a couple of the other sports, by gee, it was live and well. Maybe due to the uh, the crowd, people in Birmingham got right behind it. It was an absolute pleasure to cover it. It looked like a blast. It really yeah. did. And, I mean, I was lucky enough to be on the Gold Coast, work during the Gold Coast. That was fun. But a lot of things have happened in between 2018 and 2022. And it just it seemed like for a city that obviously ultimately didn't technically get the games originally, that they made the most of it and then put on a fantastic show. And also Australia then came out and put on a great show as well. And you look like you had a blast the whole time there too, making sure that those stories were brought back to us here in Australia. Yeah, and that's always the way that I try to go about it. I mean, it's, you can't fake it, you know, this in, in media. You are what you are. And the reality is I'm just like a kid in a candy store because I absolutely love sport. And so many of these athletes are living the life that I uh, – had a little sample of, but uh, was, you know, in the end, not good enough to uh, to be at their level. So I look at them with so much adulation. I'm keen for Australia to understand their story, but also to understand how bloody hard it is to be mm. that good and compete at that level. So um, straight away, we think about Peter Bowl was fantastic in Tokyo and great again in the Commonwealth Games. But Ollie Hoare is probably the one yeah. that jumps straight off the page that everyone thinks about when you think about the most recent Commonwealth Games. And, don't underestimate how good he was in front of a packed crowd. And that was the other aspect, and you've, you've touched on it beautifully. How good were the crowds? When you see sold-out stadiums for heat mornings at track and field, you know that a city's really embraced it. And Birmingham gets a bit of a bad rap, but I thought it was a fantastic host. They were right into it. And that moment with Ollie Hoare and that moment with Ailish McColgan winning a 10,000 metres in front of, a, in effect, a home crowd and hearing Flower of Scotland bellowed out that night they're all some of the great memories i'll never forget well we saw all those memories particularly with yourself and bruce and tams and all the footage of it when ollie yeah. was uh winning that race as well i mean that must have been a bit of fun then to have that go out there and then in the day and age of social media too having uh people no doubt chime in a little bit on your reaction you're living that moment as well obviously you're there to broadcast yeah. that to australia but you're still also fans and it was a, as you said an incredible moment that you get swept upon swept up in yeah, well, I look, probably look back at it a little embarrassed that it suddenly became a little bit about us, which it certainly is, and it was all about Oliver Hoare and how brilliant he was. But um, during the Winter Olympics, uh, I had the great pleasure of working with Lydia Lasseler, and um, we were carrying on because we were minus 30, so we were damn freezing. We were carrying on like idiots uh, all the time while we were waiting uh, for uh, the cameras to come to us and waiting for our turn, and... Uh, Little did we know that at all times we were being filmed and then uh, they come up with this uh, very, very funny bloopers thing of us dancing and carrying on like idiots. And Lydia said, and they asked us uh, whether or not uh, we were happy for them to um, to publish it. And Lydia was like, what do you think? And I said, listen, I, I don't take myself too seriously. I'm just having a great time. And listen, if people, uh, you know, are critical of that, like they were with our reactions with Ollie. So be it, mate. Just just be yourself. And uh, the reaction overwhelmingly was positive, but there's still a few uh, negative Nancys out there that give me a fair old whacking on social. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the life, right? Which, I mean, I'm glad yeah. they ended up publishing that because – yeah, as we were sort of talking a little bit off air, I was working as a researcher then. So I was sort of in some of those areas where I could see what was happening before they went to air and the conversations and things you guys were doing. And it just, you guys just looked like you were having fun. And it just, Correct. and I remember that point thinking like, wow, this looks great. And also Lydia, my 
God, can we sign her up to get her own TV show or something like that? Because she just, no offense to you, Richard, you were great, but I mean, was she not the breakout star of that entire broadcast? She was incredible, and I, I look at it as nearly my greatest achievement in media was actually just uh, putting the wind beneath her wings and off she went because <laughs> before those Winter Olympics, she was the girl out of Survivor who was a five-time Olympian, Olympic champion, Olympic bronze medalist, multiple world champion to overcome knee injuries, who was that serious, hardcore athlete. I've got so much respect for her as an athlete, but she's an even better person. But there was a perception that she was the serious Sally. But uh, after about three or four days of carrying on like idiots, maybe we had (laughs) buddy mountain altitude sickness, I don't know, but wasn't she a breath of fresh air? She was absolutely fantastic and... uh, Oh, she wasn't. She was the breakout star. There's no doubting that. We hope to see her more and more. Unfortunately, she lives in Finland. But yeah, uh, we've been uh, chatting a little bit, trying to think about uh, maybe I'll take your line, and maybe we need to do a podcast, maybe to do something to uh, see if we can get the show back in, uh, back on the road. But she was. I think you just really- got a hundred subscribers by uttering those words already, without even launching it. Like Woo-hoo. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm listening already. Get, get it up and going. That would be perfect. Yeah. Okay. I'm onto it, man. Good. Can you, yeah. Can you make it help us out? We need yeah, it. absolutely. I'll I'll, I'll nah. provide some advice, and I'm sure that Thank both you. our listeners will then go to yours, and then we'll just talk to <laughs> ourselves all the time. So it'll be uh it'll be quite fun. It's it's interesting because I'm sure like everybody who knows you from the sports coverage on Channel Seven. I mean, there are probably some of our listeners or viewers on YouTube who might not be aware of your sort of background as an athlete that you touched on. I mean, you won the stall gift in 1993. Yeah. So That's and right. then you you won basically three versions of it in a row. So the 92 novice in yep. uh, the 100 metres and then the 120 metre invitational 94 for the back mark is something that's only ever been done uh, consecutively by two people. You're one of them. So was this something that when you grew up, you always wanted to be an athlete and track and field was where you went into? Yeah, I suppose when I was growing up, I had three real loves in my life. Um, I wanted to be an AFL footballer, play for Carlton, uh, kick a goal after the siren to win a premiership. Um, I was, or maybe a, just one was, extra point so that we could get into the finals, Rich. I was going to ask you about that at the end. I'm still a bit dirty with it, but yeah, still too soon. Still <laughs> yep, too, too soon. soon. Too soon. Too um, soon. Yep. So that was that was one dream. The reality is, I was um, you know a good junior player. Uh, you know, played A grade amateurs, had a bit of a run at a couple of uh, you know trials at a couple of footy clubs. But reality is, I wasn't good enough as an AFL player. I would love to have been a hundred meter uh, champion in track and field. Um, tried my heart out after failing as a footballer and took up athletics too late. Wasted too many years playing footy, unfortunately. Um, basically won the stall gift in my first full year of um, of training and then had four or five years on the circuit. I was I had the great privilege, privilege of being uh, training partners of Kathy Freeman, which was unbelievable leading into her world title in 97 and then uh, world title in 99 and onwards towards Sydney 2000. Um, she needed to be surrounded by guys that were faster than her, but not too fast. Uh, you didn't, she didn't want to train with Michael Johnson. She just wanted to train with good, honest battlers like me. So I was, <laughs> in effect, uh, uh, Kathy's lead-out stable pony um, and had a lot of fun doing that, which was which was awesome. So um, I failed as a track and field athlete. I failed as a footballer. And the other thing that I would always wanted to be, I wanted to be like Bruce McAvaney. I would love to have, uh, you know, I was in the backyard, whether it be playing footy, playing cricket, commentating myself, doing things, uh, um, so that's what I always wanted to do, and it's just my great privilege to work 
now closely with our greatest ever sports broadcaster, a guy I just idolise in, in Bruce. So um, failed at two and uh, ne- I'll never be Bruce, but a great privilege to, uh, to work in the media alongside him. I love hearing stories like that, that sort of you persevere and do that. But I, I can imagine sort of in that athletics career, at least, and, and those those dreams of, of going, having Bruce McAvaney call you at the Olympics <laughs> to eventually obviously work alongside him. But, I mean, sort of after the stall gift and everything along those lines, were, were you in contention for an Olympics bid? I mean, obviously you ended up marrying an Olympian, but, I mean, were yeah. yourself, did you ever get uh, close to, you know, how close were you to maybe Atlanta or Sydney at that Yeah, point? look, I was sort of a na- national-level finalist. Um, if they were picking relay runners, I was probably, you know, eighth and ninth in Australia. So, you know, off, I was more of a 200-metre runner more than a 100 metres, eventually tried 400 metres. Look, I was a sol- solid citizen without being a star at all. So, um, but... Oh, you know what? I used the money from the store gift because the reality is it's the richest uh, professional foot race in the world. So, um, I mean, this year we get they, we cut them a check for forty thousand dollars. Back then in nineteen ninety three, uh, back before you were born, um, it was. Thanks for that. Check. I was I was actually born in ninety three, but I'll pretend uh, that I wasn't. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> I, uh, they cut us a check for twenty four thousand dollars, which is a lot of money back then. So I actually used a lot of that money to fund the dream. And and my dream was to be an elite athlete and travel the world. So through, you know, being a training partner of Kath Freeman, Kath would um, go to, you know, all the Diamond League meets. And then I would either, if I didn't have a meet at that stage, once you get over to Europe and Kath was really kind with her time, she'd be saying, hey, we can get you, you know, her manager would say, we can get you a lane in a, in a different race. So Catherine would go off to Monaco and run in a Diamond League and I'd go to Belfast to run in the Northern Ireland 100-metre championships. That was sort of the level <laughs> that I was, uh, I was at. But, hey, you know what? I would not change it for the world. It was – now that I look back on it, um, you know, you look back and you'd physically love to be in that shape again. Um, I tried exceptionally hard, but the reality was I was nowhere near good enough. And uh, – when you're running against Michael Johnson, uh, when you're running against Linford Christie, Ben Johnson, uh, Donovan Bailey, uh, Addo Bolden, when you're in that era and they uh, are absolutely have one thing in common, that is I only ever saw their backsides, um, you realise pretty quickly that I was dealing in a very different sport to them, mate. I was just a straight-out battler. Insane. But I, I, the one positive I think you probably got out of all of that is that you worked on the Sydney Olympics with Channel 10, I believe. And I'm sure once yeah. Cathy won that gold, you had a bit of a connection maybe to get a pretty bloody good interview. I mean, did that help you <laughs> having known her for so long? Like, hey, Cathy, guess what? Can I have an interview? It's me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah well, I had the great privilege of um, – I was then working in marketing. Uh, I had a um, background in marketing. I was working in sports marketing for Oakley Sunglasses. So um, Matthew White was hosting Sports Tonight for Channel 10. This is a great lesson for kids out there. So – Working in marketing, we took over. I went to the um, the RSL, believe it or not, in North Bondi and said to them, "How about we take over the RSL club for the for two months? We'll pay you pay you some money." And we so I think I paid forty thousand dollars on behalf of Oakley to take over the RSL club for two months. Around that time, we turned it into a big beach hut. We brought the best surfers from around the world. They were all there, and we used that as a hospitality house for all of our athletes, whether it be Addo Bolden and Maurice Green. Uh, Marion Jones, you can't really say her name nowadays. Um, a lot of our cyclists, etc. We and the awesome foursome, we would provide them with a venue that if they wanted to get out of the village and meet their family, 
come to the Oakley House on Bondi Beach and we would have breakfast, lunch and dinner provided. We had great musical acts. It was a hoot. So that's what I did. And believe it or not, I was telling Matty White all about it and he was the host of Sports Tonight on Channel 10. And I said to him, mate, you should come here because they didn't have the rights. Channel 7 had the rights. I said, you should come and set up your studio here because you can see the beach volleyball, but you're not allowed to go there. Um, and he brought his producer along for the meeting, a guy by the name of Craig Reynolds. Craig might not even be aware of it, but Craig, out of the blue, listening to Matty White and I talk like you and I are talking now, he just said, instead, why don't you pretend that you're interviewing Matty White? So I go into full interview mode. And he said, I know you've never done any media before, uh, before but we're going to send a camera down and you do uh, the reports from Oakley House during the Olympics and that's wow. how I got my start in the, in the TV world. Gee, that's a that's a great story, <laughs> and that ticks off that third sort of goal. I mean, so you're in marketing. Had you at that point retired from sprinting? So that was sort of yeah. your focus up in a post athletic career. So that absolutely, yeah. I got to um, got to about ninety eight, and I was having all sorts of issues with my uh, with my shins and my legs. So kept having stress fractures, and uh, so. I just kept pushing on. But the reality is, and this is a big challenge for, you know, a lot of athletes, you know, say, for example, um, you look at Henry Frayne, who was in the Commonwealth Games. He's actually a qualified lawyer and he's competed in his third or fourth Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. And I mentioned in our interview uh, post his event where things just didn't go his way. He made the final, but I think he came fifth or sixth. I said, there's an opportunity cost for you. So how long can you keep saying no to all the money that you should be earning as a lawyer to keep following the passion of being a, a, a track and field athlete. Now, for someone like him who's a triple Olympian or dual Olympian who will go to another Olympic Games, it's probably a tough decision from an opportunity cost point of view because he is one of our elite athletes who could literally get a medal in an Olympic Games. So it's a tough decision for him. It became less of a tough decision for me because the real, I'm a realist. I'm there you know, getting pantsed by the best sprinters in the world, thinking, should I give up the opportunity to further my career when the reality is I'm I'm not, uh, you know, I'm a solid 200-metre, 400-metre runner, but I'm not going to mix at the world best. I'm not going to make an Olympic final. I know that. Um, I'm not going to make an Olympic team, I don't think. So I decided to go down that route. So uh, due to the injuries plus also the opportunity cost that comes up because, this is one of the great frustrations I have in track and field. I can remember, and my wife went to a couple of Olympic games, so I saw it uh, up close and personal when she was uh, an athlete as well. When the Australian track and field team is heading off to a camp going into the Olympic games and 20 to 30 of the athletes are filling in their dole forms to make sure they still get unemployment benefits while they're away in Olympic games, that doesn't sit right with me. So um, there was not a lot of money in track and field as opposed to what I could earn in, um, you know, in, in a marketing career. So that's why uh, I uh, went that way. It's something that we discuss a lot on the show. It's sort of people have a, an image of somebody who is an elite athlete, goes to an Olympics, you've got your career made. You, you know, that's you're sitting on a gold mine. But the reality is for the majority of our Olympians that that's simply not the case uh, and it's no. sort of you have to balance that sort of career which is I mean it is crazy to think sometimes isn't it that they're representing Australia they're the face of some of their sports for for you know generations of people who grow up watching them but at the end of the day as you said they're kind of going to Centrelink when they get home and go cool can I have a job 
Yeah, and it's so hard. I mean, basic. You know, you look at some of our best track and field athletes now. Our your audience would be shocked to see how poorly they are living and how they are basically, you know, couch hopping to be around the right coaches, away from their family environment, trying to uh, trying to make it. And then, and then I think our funding model is wrong as well. When you look at it. So we wait until Peter Bowl comes fourth in Olympic Games before we actually fund him because that we then we identify him. Hey, I tell you what, we'll fund you now towards the next Olympic Games. But it's probably at a time when he least needs it because he came fourth in Olympic Games. He's a great story. He's actually now got corporate support, whereas he didn't have any corporate support the four years leading in. So how we can actually, as sports, and you know, we think about the swimming. You know, the top end get good money, but you know, up until this breakout performance by Molly O'Callaghan, I bet you she wasn't making a lot of money. So the reality is when they need the funding at their most is when they're not getting it. And then by the time they get the results, that's when the funding tends to kick in. It doesn't feel right at the moment. It's it's a big issue for uh, for Australian sport and it's damn tough. Whereas what's happening at the moment, we see, you know, I'm, a, I'm living in Melbourne. So as a Melbourne guy, we see the very best male athletes at the moment are picking AFL football because the reality is that you could be the 400th best AFL footballer in Australia and you're making $200,000 a year. You can be the second best javelin thrower or the second best 100-metre runner in Australia and you're on unemployment benefits. doesn't feel and right. You see also... Then the difficulty, say, in, in the female side of things, how you've got so many people, uh, so many of our female athletes who are all of a sudden, I'm going to do an AFLW career, then they're going to switch and do, you know, basketball. Like there, yeah. There's so much code hopping and everything there too because of that level. Do you, do you think, just on this topic while we're there, given that we're in a 10-year cycle now ahead of an Olympic Games, we've got a Commonwealth Games in another four years, we've got a Women's Football World Cup next year, Women's Basketball World Cup, like we've got a lot of stuff happening in Australia yeah. in the next 10 years. Do you think that is on the rise that we're going to be changing that because of that exposure or is it kind of maybe a little bit too late for that sort of thing that we've got these yeah. events and it's not focusing on the athletes instead? It's a real challenge, isn't it? So if I'm the, if I'm a sports administrator in, say, Athletics Australia, right now I'm seeing that as the biggest challenge. I'm, I'm working back. I'm saying, what's my team look like approximately in 2032? What age are those athletes now? Are they 16 years of age? They probably are. 16 years of age, so they'll be 26 and at their absolute peak. How do I identify who those 16-year-olds are now? How do I help them stay in the sport? And there's a great example, a young lady that many people, most of your audience won't know of. Her name's Claudia Hollingsworth. So she is basically the best 16-year-old in the world for 800 metres. She went over to World Juniors, which is under 20s, and uh you know, she was disqualified for a stupid uh, issue where she went on the inside of the track because she was pushed on the inside. They appealed. That's a separate issue. She would have made the final and been ultra competitive in under 20s. She's 16 years of age. Now, she's also a really talented AFL player. So if I am Athletics Australia, I'm thinking, how do I retain, incentivize a talent like that to choose athletics? At the moment, she's choosing athletics, but if she chooses AFL football, and we've seen so many, and this is not a knock on AFLW, um, but we've seen a lot of knee injuries. I think once they go down that road, they can't come back to track and field because naturally, mm -hmm. if I'm a coach of an AFLW team, I see Claudia Hollingsworth and say, the first thing I need to do is 
um, get you stronger, get you physically bigger to be able to cope with the bumps, which you'll then unfortunately means that the, you will not be able to run at the same level. You can't run two minute flat for 800 metres if you're an extra 10 kilos heavier to be able to handle the, the bumps of an AFL footy. So the moment she goes down that road, we lose it at track and field. So that's the biggest challenge, I think, for our amateur sports administrators. How do we attract the best talent? How do you retain them for the 10 years, a once-in-a-generation opportunity to get those 10 years leading in to the Brisbane Olympic Games? Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fascinating. I mean, we all Huge. remember Sydney yeah. and sort of everything that came with that, which I mean, just back to you getting that job. I mean, what what a way to start, Richo, the Olympics. <laughs> like Sydney Olympics, like you've dreamt of sort of Olympics as an athlete, but here you are, you know, broadcaster. I mean, that must have been just a, an insane way to get involved in the industry. Yeah, and and what it did is, I mean, the reality is um I was just interviewing mates because we were I was working in marketing, so Kyle Vanderkop, I used to compete with, competing in the uh, 110 hurdles. You know, hey, KVK, come over. Uh, you know, I'd love you to come to the Oakley house. I'll have an interview there. So it was all, you know, the awesome foursome boys were my mates, etc. So it was uh, pretty low-hanging fruit. I was just <laughs> in, in the end interviewing our friends and then just sending it off and they were no doubt uh, clipping a fair bit of it out and uh, some, would go, some would go on air. So it was a nice soft launch and then they – used me uh, pretty quickly after it for a show called Inside Sport TV, um, where I once again interview our athletes in a different environment, whether it be Jeff Fennick playing pool with Jeff Fennick or whoever was the triathlon champion at the time going 10-pin uh, bowling, anything like that we were doing. So that was a bit of fun, but it also just gave me that little taste and then SEN Radio said, hey, we'd like you to do a few things with us. And then you know what they say, there are a few doors open and if you've uh, got a little bit of talent but also a little bit of tenacity to open and charge through that door, then um, things open up. And uh, so it was never the plan. And while I was, you know, working in marketing and then started my own business and then sold my own business, all this media stuff was just sort of bubbling along as a, a little plus one. Eventually, everything else moved to the side and it became uh, the number one. Which, because you were involved, were you not, at the beginning of SEN, I believe? Which, yeah. And that was groundbreaking because, I mean, nothing really had been happened like that before in terms of, what, a 24-hour sports radio yeah. station. And now it's grown and grown and grown. It's, I mean, I'm in Hobart at the moment, based in, you've got one down here now. I mean, it's, it's yep. just growing. So, I mean, what was that like, kind of being there from the beginning and seeing to what it's grown to today? Oh, I love to say you're in Hobart. I'm a Hobart boy, born in Calvary Hospital in Lena Valley, if you don't I mind. Was, I was going to say, I know there's Tasmanian connections, but I didn't actually know you were born here, Richo. Wow, I saw a I second head like mine, so uh, I was wondering what was going on there. So, yes, I, Hobart uh, represent. You might be our yes. first our first my, uh, uh, Tasmanian dad, guest on the show, so well done. My dad is St. Virgil's boy. My mum is St. Mary's girl. And, wow. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I left, I left when I was only uh, under one. So over right. the Melbourne. So, uh, okay, so I was going to say, what so. school was there? You were at St. Virgil's. You definitely wouldn't have been at St. Mary's, but um, no. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, what were we talking about? Was I SEN, the- being there from the beginning. Yeah. We, we can reminisce about Tasmania if you like. We I mean, obviously smart time. people from Tasmania go for Carlton as well. So, I mean, just – That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, SEN was fascinating. So think about this. So when it first started – I was doing, my first gig on SEN was, believe it or not, I was on 11 o'clock on a Friday night doing a show called The Expression Session (laughs) uh, with a mate of mine called Jason Lay who we called J Money and we would talk (laughs) 
because they had all these different sports, uh, but because through my marketing with Oakley, I had uh, an affinity and awareness of snow sports, but also surfing and skateboarding. We were the extreme X Games sports show. We would wow. come on at 11 till midnight every Friday night, which was really popular with the uh, with my beautiful wife um, every Friday <laughs> night. And we would come out after a show called The Dribblers, which went for two hours, which was hosted by a guy who had never done any media by the name of Andrew Gaze with his, oh, with his, pro- his producer being a young kid called Matt Thompson who's now <laughs> – uh, well, Matty Thompson then was on air and now he's uh, behind the scenes uh, running uh, seven news, sports news. So um, very, very uh, interesting how it all starts. So SEN and we didn't have any rights to music. So you literally had to talk sport and open up the lines and interact with the audience. And then from that, I morphed into doing, uh, I think my second gig was the Oz Kick footy show at 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning. So I'd back up from the Friday night to the Saturday morning. Brutal. My co-host was Dipper and we would talk to little kids and uh, they would ring in because they were trying to get footy cards. Uh, but I'll tell you what, it was good fun because you found out pretty quickly, don't ask a kid a question, a youngster, eight years of age that has the possibility of yes or no as an answer because <laughs> every time they'll take it. So. Yeah. The question why would be really important. So that taught me a lot about uh, your media interviewing skills. So, um, and then SEN just, you know, they, we went through some tough times. I I was there when um, the first edition of it went belly up and uh, you know, whether it be Dermot Brereton and Tim Watson and myself and many, many others, David Schwartz, we all uh, were, uh, Creditors, we lost a lot of money there, and we because uh, we were we weren't getting paid, and we kept putting invoices in, and they we were promised to get paid, and in the end we weren't getting paid. So we went through all of that, and then uh, the the second edition was a lot more successful. And uh, I'm not involved now. I'd love to be. I'm, uh, but I look on, and I still listen in, and I pop in now and then, and uh, I got a lot of uh, admiration for what they've done. It's crazy to think that. You back then starting with Andrew Gaze beforehand, who himself has gone on to, you know, be a bit of a media star as well outside of his incredible basketball career. I mean, do, do tapes exist of this, Richo? Is this something that you've got, like, you're sitting on that you can sneakily not. put out? <laughs> I want to hear this now. <laughs> if they do, if tapes do exist, trust me, I'll be the one that be, you'll see a buddy bonfire and that'll be me <laughs> throwing him on. Um, but it was, you know, whether it be, you know, Mark Ocalupo, Lane Beachley, yeah, gee, we would have been talking to the young snowboarders back then. You would know, love to some of the names that we used to interview, and uh, people would ring up. And of course, it's eleven o'clock on a Friday night, and we're trying to talk surfing and snowboarding. But you know, it's footy, Friday night footy's just finished. So what do you reckon's yep. happening? Is every second <laughs> call is like, shut up about this crap, mate. I want to talk about Carlton versus Collingwood. So that was uh, wow, that was very interesting. So where did the opportunity then for Channel 7, obviously a bit of a, a racing background, sort of did that help you go across there? I mean, sort of how did you end up at Channel 7? So the racing background comes from, believe it or not, my grandmother opened my first betting account when I was 12. God love her. Wow. <laughs> Gamble responsibly at home. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> Thanks, Grandma. Racing, our Tasmanian relatives, uh, racing was very much in their blood. So my grandmother's... Uh, brother was a leading horse trainer down in Tassie. Uh, her other brother owned a number of hotels, was a star full forward for New Norfolk uh, down in Tassie. 
Um, and he, through all the all the hotels that he owned, he had uh, money enough to buy horses. So he had a horse by the name of Sunny Lane, which ran in a Melbourne Cup and uh, was placed over in Hong Kong as well and won a Werribee Cup and, and ran really well in, in Tassie and then over in... Uh, in Victoria was trained by Charlie Goggins. So all of when I when I was a young kid, every time I would go and all our relatives were in Tasmania. So four or five times a year I would travel across to Tassie. All the school holidays we spent in Hobart and every Saturday uh, we would go to the races with my grandma and at Elwick. Meet, uh, at Elwick and we'd meet my uh my uncle who would mark my card and give me uh, and you know what it's like racing is all about the vernacular. So I was surrounded by it and I had uncles that were jockeys and you know, distant cousins that were jockeys. So I saw and heard all of that. And so while I was working at SEN, um, a couple of opportunities popped up and people would hear me talking about racing in a way that I, I, I followed racing and B, I knew it. I was, it sounded like I knew what I was talking about. So Suddenly that then came to opportunities and came to opportunities through a good mate of mine by the name of uh, John Rothfield, a.k.a. Dr. Turf, on a Friday night at Mooney Valley. Um, an opportunity came up there uh, with TVN to do some interviewing of jockeys and then that morphed into hosting and then TVN, you know, I started a show there called Get On that's been going for 12 years, which got a little cult following and... Um, so I think when all that was happening, Channel 7 saw that and said, hey, if we're going to use some guys for racing, uh, we think that this guy's a nice fit for us because he's he, he's got the racing down pat, but he also doesn't take himself too seriously. He's got the ability to transcend into the mainstream as opposed to being super, super hardcore racing, talking ratings and data, et cetera. So um, that's how that association started with Seven. Which must, in a weird way, do you, do you get that? I know it's sort of coming into racing, but going back to your point about that third option was to be the next Bruce McAvaney. You are now at Bruce McAvaney's network and he loves racing. So, I mean, kind yeah. of was this all of a sudden like ding, 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 here we go, the, the dream is alive. Yeah, well, Bruce, I mean, Bruce is, you know, semi-retired. He's, he's retired out of footy and we no longer do the tennis, which we loved at seven. So it's got a scenario where he chooses to do racing. So every Saturday... On, uh, on the screens of seven, I'm hosting with Bruce in Adelaide or we're hosting alongside each other at the races um, and Caitlin Mellion and Lizzie Gels and Hamish pops in and we've got an unbelievable team and, uh, you know, Kate Waterhouse, etc. cetera. Um, we've got this great team and they've signed for seven years for racing and Bruce has said, I only want to do racing and the Olympic Games. That's what I want to do or Commonwealth Games, track and field. So my two loves are, you know, I love footy, um, but, uh, you know, racing and, and athletics. And Bruce is saying they're the two sports he wants to stay involved with. So I'm hanging in there with him, brother. If he's I going reckon. somewhere, I'm saying I that. Reckon. Be a plus one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, every time we've got somebody from Seven On or somebody who's worked with, I've, I've got to get a Bruce story, Richo. I mean, do you, can you, I mean, you've probably got a thousand of them. We can sit here for another 10 hours, but like, do you have any great Bruce stories that we can add to our already great Bruce story collection on this show? Well, I think the reality of what you see is what you get with Bruce and he's a level of detail is quite extraordinary. And we, I mean, I've just had the great privilege of uh, being at the Commonwealth Games with him where we had breakfast, we, we missed out on lunch. We had breakfast plus a trip out to the track, plus a trip back, plus going out at night, out in the, out in the bus together, uh, 
you know, broadcasting together and then the bus trip back. Oh, my God, that guy is the most passionate yet very, very funny guy you ever want to meet. What you see is what you get off camera and every good media performer is the same because you can't fake it. You can't fake what he brings to the table. He's bloody brilliant. But his level of preparation is the level that we all aspire to. But the reality is, I mean, I need more than two hours sleep. He doesn't. I can't prepare to the level that he does. I try, and when it gets to racing, I think that I'm well prepared. But, Bruce, there will never be a broadcast on on athletics or on horse racing where I don't finish the broadcast with him saying something where I think to myself, Jesus, I wish I had said that. <laughs> Every bloody broadcast, he'll wow. say something that I'll just think to myself, damn it. Yeah. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> That's why he's the king. That's Bruce, indeed, really is the king. Richard, before we go, two quick things I want to touch on. Obviously, you've had the pleasure of working on some Olympics now. You know, it might have been that dream, but I mean, it's still a dream to work on them. I mean, can you pick out one highlight from the Olympics you have worked on that you either got to witness in person, an athlete you got to speak to? I mean, just sort of one moment from your from your Olympic experiences that stands out above the rest. Well, it's it's impossible to find one that, from an actual performance point of view, stands out because I mean, I marvel at all of their performance. For me, it's about the stories, mm-hmm. and I think in Tokyo in particular, that was so important because the Australian audience was in lockdown. And we were there wearing masks and the reality is we were living in lockdown. We would come out, we would go to the Olympic Stadium for me in track and field and it'd be basically empty apart from athletes. We'd all be wearing masks. Well, the Australians were forced to wear masks. Most other countries weren't, but athletes wearing masks, broadcast back into Australia with everyone in lockdown. And I had the challenge of trying to tell or assist the athlete to tell their story. Um, so they're the things that that's the story, the overcoming of adversity. And, and sometimes it's not overcoming adversity. Sometimes it's just allowing the athlete to tell their story, Nicola McDermott, about how important her faith is. But if, if you ask me for one in particular, you know, there's so many track and field ones that I love, but the one that surprised me the most was in surfing. And I got a late call up the night I was coming back from the road race in cycling and um, our executive producer rang me and said, mate, uh, I know it's nine or 10 o'clock at night. You're going to get back at about midnight. We need you to leave at 4am from Tokyo to go down to the surfing because we, all the medals are going to come to a crescendo and we think you're the right man to do some interviews down there. So we had the heartbreak of Sally Fitzgibbon, uh, who was the one surfer that knew the Olympics like no other because she was world youth track and field champion, yet she gave up track and field to do surfing. All she wanted to do was to be amongst the athletes and to win a medal, and she had a really tough um, heat or quarterfinal. She missed out in the medal round, and she, uh, you know, my role was merely to to steer her through an interview where she cried her eyes out with her heart broken. Um, So I went from that to a men's final, which was extraordinary. And I looked at the podium and I thought, this is a moment that I'll never, ever forget because in the bronze medal position was Australian Owen Wright, who had only three years earlier had a severe accident 
whereby he had this unbelievable concussion whereby he basically had to stay inside. He couldn't see light because mm. any sort of light would set off these unbelievable migraines and, of course, he spiralled with his mental health. He had to teach himself to talk and walk, let alone surf, and three years later he stood on a podium to win a bronze medal, Australia's first ever medalist in surfing. He stood alongside a Japanese kid who his dad was desperate to be an elite surfer. He's, he failed in that pursuit, yet his son, when his son was born, he said this kid's best opportunity to live the dream is to travel to America. So they, the moment he was born, basically they moved their family, went to America with the dream of this kid being a champion in whatever sport, but he hoped in action sports. And that kid got the bug to be a surfer, for him to come back, keep his Japanese citizenship, come back to Japan in mm. their home Olympic Games, in the first Olympic Games for Japan, to get an Olympic silver medal. And then on top of them was a kid from Brazil who grew up in poverty so severe that his dad was a fisherman who, believe it or not, couldn't afford a surfboard. And when that young kid was learning to surf, how did he learn to surf? On the lid of an esky that his dad carried to put the fish in was the mm. first ever thing that he surfed on. For him to be an Olympic champion with Brazil, Japan and Australia, all of those unique stories, that's something I'll never forget. Incredible, really is fantastic. One of the yeah, highlights of Tokyo for, for sure. Yeah. Richard, I mentioned it a couple of times and I'm going to date this recording because obviously it's less than 24 hours after it happened, but how are we recovering? I, I, I yeah, I, I don't know what else to think. 0.6%, I think it's a second uh, less margin in the history of the AFL that a team's missed out on the finals. I mean, what happened? Were you there? Oh. Like, are you, Do you need help? Do we need to send somebody for you? I need it. I need help. Oh. <laughs> I was there and oh. I and I and I'm annoyed at myself because you would know as a Carlton supporter, I mean, I'm older than you, so I've actually I've seen success. I, I was haven't. I was alive for ninety five, so I was I was eight. I remember it. But okay. so you you've know. seen success. Yeah. My kids haven't seen success. The last ten years we've been horrendous. For a mm -hmm. moment, and I've been privileged enough to do a lot of work with the Carlton Footy Club, and I so I've got some friends in the administration and the like, and I, I look on them with great fondness. I regret for a moment that I started to believe we were going to win. And yeah. I'm bloody annoyed at myself for that. And uh, uh, Well, the reality is Collingwood were, were more skillful in their execution uh, when it counted most than we were. So back to the training track for us, I look at it that way. But you know what? I was actually walked out of the ground with a bit of a smile on my face thinking, what a great privilege to be back being competitive at that sort of level. So, um, hey, it's a, tick, it's a tick for the Mighty Blues for me for this year and we will launch off that. I like that positivity. I, I, I will get there That's eventually. That's me, unfortunately. Maybe later this week. We'll see how it goes. Richard, before we let you go, people want to stay up to date with uh, what you're up to. You, you, you're great on the socials, Twitter, Instagram. Give a plug. Where can people sort of follow your uh, your exploits, what you're up to? Uh, at Jace Richo on Twitter. Uh, I'm getting less frequent there. I'm uh, The cesspool that is Twitter weighs me down a touch <laughs> at times nowadays. A bit, yeah. Uh, so I've decided to turn my attention to the uh, to the pleasures of Instagram a bit at the moment at Jace Richardson Seven. So 
tune in any of the stuff we do on Seven. I try to give a little bit behind the scenes, but at all times, I'm thinking I'm the father of three teenage girls. So at all times, I'm trying my hardest not to be dorky dad. So that's my balance at the moment. Anytime that I'm not getting that balance right, get your audience to tell me, please. All right. We we promise to do that. Richo, mate, this has been an absolute pleasure to learn a lot about your career and uh, insights into so many great things. But uh, we we definitely appreciate your time on the show and we look forward to keep watching you on the screens of Seven, right? All the time. Channel Seven, all the time. Love it. Love it, brother. Thanks so much for the opportunity. See you soon. And a massive thanks to Richo there for his time. Great chat to learn there. As I said, might be our first Tasmanian. I don't think any of our other guests in the past were born in Tasmania. So there we go. Our very first official Tasmanian guest on this show. Very excited for that. Not excited, obviously, for the fact that Carlton, at the time of recording that, in less than 24 hours before we started that interview, had been eliminated cruelly from the 2022 AFL season. For our overseas listeners who maybe don't know what we're talking about, Australian football, Carlton missed out on our version of the playoffs by the smallest of margin, the second smallest margin in the history of the entire competition of well over 100 years. So, uh, yeah, hard times for a Carlton supporter in 2022, but a great chat, and we very much appreciate Richo's time on the show. And uh, follow him on social media and look back. We talked a little bit back in Beijing about the, the fun that him and Lydia were having over there in Beijing. And as he mentioned, they did release sort of like a blooper reel on that, which I believe Richo did share on his social media. So uh, it's a fantastic uh, little insight into kind of what was going on between him and Lydia Lassler. And it was obviously a, a great part of the Channel 7 coverage back in uh, early February of 2022. We've got so many more great Great interviews coming your way. We have got tons, absolutely tons. But next week, we're doing something a little bit special in the fact that uh, we're getting the gang back together. Myself, Colin, and Jared, we're coming together to do another rankings episode. If you remember back in 2021, we did a rankings episode where we ranked the Olympic medals. We, uh, I believe, went back to 1994 onwards and ranked the medals. Well, next week, we are ranking the Olympic logos. That is right. We are going to rank a series of Olympic logos, and I will admit at the time of me recording this outro part, we don't know whether we're going to do all of them. We'll be sitting there for ages, going all the way back to when the first logo was ever introduced into the Olympics, or we're just going to maybe do some of the modern ones. We will work that out both winter and summer. We will come together, rank the logos, and we will ultimately decide the best Olympic logo, at least in the eyes of Off The Podium. So uh, stay tuned for that next week. And following that, we'll be back into some great interviews we've got coming up. I want to tease some of our guests that we've got coming on the show. We have an Olympic gold medal winning sailor. We have an Olympic silver medal winning speed skater. And we also have, who I thought at the time was going to be our first ever Tasmanian guest, another Tasmanian guest now that we've had Richo on the show. And added to that, we will be ticking off a sport that we have never had on this show before, an athlete from a sport that we've never had on the show before. And I will say it involves a ball and a basket. Just put those two together and you might understand the sport that we're talking about. So get excited for that. And of course, we are very, very close now to the World Cup 2022, the Men's Soccer World Cup. We have never covered a Men's Soccer World Cup on this show or any Soccer World Cup, to be completely honest with you. And given that this is 
arguably the biggest sporting event in the world that is technically bigger than Olympic Games, we thought we are going to cover it. So we will be providing pretty extensive coverage too. We'll be doing weekly shows on the World Cup. And a lot of the reason why we're doing this too, if you're wondering, well, you're an Olympics podcast, why are you doing this? Well, again, biggest sporting event in the world, only sporting event that really does surpass the Olympics. But of course, if people are listening to this and know our connections to Canada, we are technically a co-Canadian Australian podcast. Canada have qualified for their first Men's World Cup since 1986. Australia are there as well. So we thought, well, this is obviously going to be a perfect opportunity to talk about it, talk about the other situations that go on in the World Cup. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm a massive World Cup soccer fan. So uh, I'm very intrigued to have Jared and Colin talk about it because as far as I'm aware, they're not the biggest World Cup soccer fans. So as always is the case, I'm probably not going to sharpen all of these as I'm not shutting up right now, but it's going to be a lot of fun. So stay tuned to that. If you want to get all of these episodes directly down your speakers and never miss one, of course, subscribe to us on all good podcasting platforms out there there search for off the podium hit the subscribe button you will never miss an episode and while you're there leave us some feedback rate us we'd love to hear what you think of the show and also social media facebook twitter instagram and youtube if you want to see the video version of this interview as well with richo you can hit us up on our youtube search for off the podium on those servers and you will find us follow us like us whatever the option is on the relevant social media service let us know who you want on the show as always please send us in a suggestion or if you've got something that you would like us to talk about. We're doing the rankings next week. Maybe you want us to rank something else. Maybe you want us to talk about the Antwerp Olympics, which is something we'll be doing one day, by the way. So uh, things like that. We always love hearing from you and we, of course, definitely appreciate the support. Big thanks again to Richo for a fantastic interview. Stay tuned. Drop the podium for more great content coming your way, dropping every Friday. In the meantime, special shout-out to the Birmingham Bull. My name is Ben, this is Off The Podium, and remember to go left. <laughs>